Chapter 1, Part 3 from the sermon series, Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. So, Metro, it is still the beginning of the year, and I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I know that many of you, probably like me, have decided in this new year that you want to get closer to God, that you want to know more about God in this new year, and I celebrate you for doing so. Maybe you decided that you're going to read your Bible more or pray more, or hopefully you have decided to join us in our New Testament journey um, this year. Some of you may have decided that you're going to be more generous with your time or with your money. Maybe you've determined that you're going to go to church more or maybe come on, uh, in person rather than online. Maybe you've decided that you'll actually practice a Sabbath this year or finally meet up with a soulmate this year. Whatever it is, I celebrate you and I congratulate you. And I also say that I am journeying with you. I have decided this year to uh, read along with you all in the New Testament as we are reading through that together. And I am excited to do that with you. I'm committed to meeting with my soulmate this year regularly, and I am committed to connecting more regularly with family members, my older family members. So whatever it is, I believe that as Christians, we have this yearning inside of us for more of God, to see God, to have uh, him, his, his power made known to us more and more. And I don't think it's just Christians alone. I believe that most people are looking to get closer to God. There's a desire that we have for, for peace and tranquility. And those of us who are able to, we pay for it. We do things like go to a spa day, or we go out and we play golf. Do not look at that because I don't play golf. And I took, I, like, that was literally for a picture. <laughs> We might go to some exotic location where we can put our toes in the white sand and listen to the crashing of the waves. We might hike through the canyons. And what do we do when we get there? We, we take a picture. <laughs> because we've marveled at the wonder of God and we're hoping that we can bring back a little bit of that peace and a little bit of that tranquility uh, back with us when we go home. We have a, a desire for love, to love and to be loved. We romanticize marriage and we seek after relationships and, and we want ours to be hashtag relationship goals. As Pastor Peter preached last week, excuse me, Pastor Clay preached last week, we're searching for our purpose. Maybe we seek out coaching or we're trying to settle into a career. We're reaching for something more. We don't know who we are, and so we seek to find ourselves in positions of power or in things that we're good at. But the truth is that we are all really just searching for God. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. And so God has placed inside of all of us, he's designed us to long for him, to long for those eternal things. The church father Augustine says it this way, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Are you restless this morning? Are you searching for something today? What do you try to fill that restlessness with? Because deep down in our human souls, we are restless and we are longing for God and we try to ease it with other ways, but our stillness, our peace, is only found in God. We're Christians and we're here today and, and many of us raise our hands and worship because we want more of God. 
And for, for non-believers, they're searching, they're out in the world searching, and they're searching for God. And God knows that. He knows that we need him. And out of his great love for us, he answers our desire to know more of him by making himself known to us. And we can, we can catch glimpses of him in creation. We can, we can see him in the face of a, of a child. We can feel it in the embrace of someone who hugs us and loves us. But the only place, the one and only place that we can find God is actually in a person. And it's in Jesus. In Jesus, we see the fullness of God, and it's in Jesus that God makes himself known to us. So if you have your Bibles, we're continuing in the book of John. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, meaning Jesus, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So we're continuing in our, in our journey through the book of John, and today's text includes the final verses of what we call the prologue. This is the beginning of the book. And it's in this prologue that the gospel writer sets the stage for the entire book. He is going to tell us about the divinity of Jesus Christ. And the author of John wants us to know that Jesus, this Jesus is from the beginning. He is the creator of all things and the means by which creation comes. He is the giver of life and the light of the world. He is the one who makes us children of God. And this Jesus is God. And this Jesus lived as a human being among us on this earth. And he lived on earth in part to make God known to us, to make God known to all of humanity. We know God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect expression of God in human form. He's both fully human and fully divine. First century Jews were looking for God just as we are today, and he appears before them in the person of Jesus Christ. We like to sing songs like, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. And he says, if you want to see me, look to Jesus. Jesus interprets God for us. He makes him fully known to us. He reveal, reveals God to us in detail. So how, do we, how does he do that? That's what we're going to be talking about today. How does Jesus make God known to us? How does Jesus make God known to us now? First, Jesus makes God known to us in a unique way. Jesus makes God known to us in a very unique way. Jesus himself is unique. He is the only one qualified to show us God. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. Jesus is the only Son of God meaning he is the only one born having the same essence, the same nature of God. He comes from God, is one with God, and is God. 
He is the only one to have seen God. And some people will say that Jesus was just a good man, or he was just a prophet who talked about God. But Jesus is not like any other man, and he's not like any other prophet. He is God, and he is divine. And he remained divine the entire time he walked on the earth. Jesus didn't, like, transform into flesh and leave his divinity behind. No, he remained divine the entire time. He came into this world as flesh, but still being God. Both his God nature and his human nature remained with him full and intact. Now, you might not think that that's a big deal. But the truth is that if we rob Jesus of his divinity, we rob him of his power. And if we rob him of his divinity, we're saying that God didn't really come down and and touch humanity, but he did. And because Jesus is God and God's one and only son and the one in closest relationship to him, some Bibles say that he was in the bosom of God. He is the only one who was qualified to really show us God. If you want to know someone uh, or, or really get to know them, you can't just talk to someone who's been acquainted with them. You can't just talk to someone who's like maybe heard of them or hung out with them a few times. If you really want to get to know someone you got to get close to people who know them. Years ago, when I was in law school, I helped organize a fundraiser for then um, Senator Barack Obama. And he was a senator from Illinois at the time. Now, I could be the type of person who would say, you know, me and Barack, (laughs) we go way back. (laughs) But the truth is, if you asked me to call him, I could not do so. Because leading up to the event, I mostly just spoke with his staff. And the night of event, he was there. He was very gracious. We spent a couple hours together. But he was, like, schmoozing with the, like, heavy hitters trying to get some money, right? And afterwards, we debriefed when we were part of a team. I did not even have the foresight to take a picture with him. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But, but, like, I I really did meet him, though. (laughs) But I was doing this to help out a professor. So if you want to know Obama, you don't come and you ask me. You go talk to Michelle. (laughs) You call the person who's closest to him, who lives with him, who really knows him. When you know someone intimately, you can share more personally and faithfully about them, and that's what Jesus does for us. Because of his unique relationship with God, he can make God known to us in ways that other people could not and other people cannot. So let me ask you today, how close are you to Jesus? See, individuals had seen or experienced God in part, but never in the unique way we have in Jesus. Last week, we learned about John the Baptist, who was sent from God, and he was on a mission from God, but his purpose was to point people to Jesus. In verse 15, John says, look, yeah, I'm here, but there's one greater than me who's already surpassed me because he was here before me. Even in the Old Testament, we see people like Moses who spoke to God and climbed mountains to talk with God, but even he didn't see all of God. Though he spoke to God face to face like a friend, the Bible also says that when he asked God, can I see your glory? God said, you can't handle it. I'm going to put you in a cleft in the rock, and I'm going to turn my back to you, and I'm going to walk 
and you will see my back because no one can see my face and live. God didn't even reveal all of himself to Moses. People who had come before Jesus, even the greatest of prophets and priests, were only given a portion of God. They were mediators. But then here comes Jesus, the fullness of God, giving all of us access to him. Jesus was unique. And not only is he unique in his relationship, he's unique in the manner in which he would come. God had these boundaries set to make the people of Israel his people. And they had these interactions with God, and these people came to know God through the law. But without understanding the fullness of who God is, the law became cold and legalistic. It began to behave just like the stone tablets on which they were delivered. But in Jesus, God comes not as an object, but as a person. Moses gave us the law so we would understand it. Jesus showed us how to live out the law perfectly. Seeing Jesus make the time to pray and listen to God and follow God shows us how not to put any other gods before God. Seeing Jesus not resort to violence, even in the face of his own death, teaches us how not to kill. Seeing Jesus resist the temptation of the devil who wanted to give him a false power teaches us not to covet. And seeing Jesus die on the cross for our sins shows us that we can't perfectly fulfill the law ourselves, but God will send someone who can. Jesus was the only one who could do it. Jesus makes God known to us in a unique way. But second, Jesus makes God known to us in a personal way. Jesus makes God known to us in a personal way. Jesus, God came to us in the most personal of ways. He came like you and me as a human. Verse 14 tells us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God took on human form for us. He left heaven in all of its majesty to constrain himself in the, in the body of a man. Philippians 2 says it this way. Speaking about Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus condescended for us. So many of us are working to go higher, to have more, to be more. And Jesus, he went the other way. He came down to us so that we might know God. He came to our level so that we could experience God face to face among us. As human flesh, Jesus understands all of our feelings and all of our experiences. He took on flesh with its weakness and its frailty, and its mortality. He comes in this way. He comes in the flesh so that we would know that he understands us. Amen. Have you ever watched the show Undercover Boss? It's, it's that show where, like, the executives and the owners go undercover in their own businesses to see how the businesses actually run on the ground. So, like, imagine if Jeff Bezos was actually in the Amazon warehouse and, like, dropped the package off at your house. Right? It's that kind of thing. 
And the point is for the executive to get a better understanding of the business and the employees. And the best executives end up feeling a tremendous amount of gratitude and compassion for their employees. In Jesus, God is like the undercover God. But rather than having to see and understand how we live, when God goes undercover as a man, we come to know that he sees and understands us. We come to know how much he loves us and he cares for us. We come to know him. Remember when Lazarus died? Jesus cried over him. He understands our grief. Remember what happened when Jesus encountered the sick or the blind or the hurting? He had compassion for them and he healed them. He understands our pain. Remember what happened when Jesus encountered sinners? He ate with them and he called them to repent and follow him. He shows us how God responds to us. God cries with us. God feels compassion towards us. God calls us out of sin to follow him into a new way of life. In Jesus, God proves that God is not this far off God that he just like made the world and walks away from it. No, God is with us in the world, working with us and in us and through us. God dwells with us in a personal way. So when the gospel writer, he wrote John, he originally wrote this, this book for a Jewish audience. And he writes that the word became flesh and dwelled among them. Amen. Now the word dwell is key to the book of John. It testifies to God's living among his people. And later we'll hear about the Holy Spirit living in his people. And that word dwell, grammatically in the Greek, is tied to the, 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 the phrase tent of meeting or tabernacle. Tent of meeting or tabernacle. So if you were a Jewish person hearing that the word became flesh and dwells among you, your mind would go back to Exodus. It would go back to Moses. It would go back to when Moses was moving the people from slavery into the promised land. And during that wilderness journey, God told Moses to build a tabernacle. A structure. And he said to, he told him how to build it, and he told, and he anointed it, and he said to him, um, and he said to him that his presence would fill the tabernacle. And if you turn to Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 through 38, you'll see these words. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels." The tabernacle in the midst of the people served as a sign or a symbol of God's presence in the wilderness, moving the people from Israel to the promised land, moving the people of Israel to the promised land. The tabernacle was a symbol of God's presence among them. Now God would send Jesus, and rather than living in this physical place, 
God would show up in a person. And rather than delivering them to the promised land of the Old Testament, Jesus would deliver them to a different promised land, eternity with God. Just as God had journeyed with them before, he would do so again. He was with them in Jesus, in the conversations, in the healings, in the signs and miracles, walking and living among them. It was personal. And it didn't require going to a building or, or going to a structure, but experiencing life with a person. In Jesus, God comes to us in a person personally. Now, my favorite version of verse 14, my favorite translation is actually from the Message Bible. And it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Don't you just love that? That's how closely God dwelled among them. Imagine if Jesus came in the 21st century. He'd be at like Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks. I think he'd be at Starbucks. But like... <laughs> He'd be on the elevator with you at work. Maybe he'd be here. Or maybe he'd be at one of those scandalous places where the sinners hang out like he did in the Bible. But that's how close God came to us. To the woman at the well. Like at ShopRite or the laundromat. To the man at the pool of Bethesda like in the hotel, or the hospital, or the clinic, or on the phone waiting for the insurance company to pick up. <laughs> to the religious elite, like in the churches, or in the seminaries. God showed up in the mundane. That's how it really is. That the God outside of time placed himself in time for us. That the God who, won't, who dwells outside of space, came and dwelled in a body for us. Amen. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he wants to make himself known to us. Think about it. The God of the universe came down to us. Jesus intentionally chose to live among us, to move in next door to us. That's how much God loves us and desired to make himself known to us. It's what we call the ministry of presence. It's living incarnationally. When someone is grieving a loved one, when someone is sick, when someone is heartbroken over an ended relationship, when someone is swamped with work, when someone is trying to figure out all the hard questions of life, sometimes we don't have the words to say we don't know what to do. All we can do, all we should do, is be present. Amen. And not just in the hard things, in the celebrations, in the weddings, and in the graduations, the new babies, and the promotions, and the sobriety. Be present. That's how God made himself known to us, by his presence in our lives. And this is how we demonstrate that God lives in us. This is how we demonstrate that we know who God is by being present with other people. So I challenge you this year, how can you be more present with the people in this church? How can you be more present with the people in your life? Because it's personal. 
Jesus was personal with us. So Jesus makes God known to us not just in a unique way and in a personal way, but in a glorious way. Jesus makes God known to us in a glorious way. Look at the end of verse 14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And verses 16 through 17, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We witness the glory of God in Jesus. The glory of God is, is, is God's manifestation of his power and his presence. It's what is revealed in Jesus Christ. If you've been reading the New Testament with us so far, you've, you've been reading the book of Mark, and you've been seeing how Jesus would, healed a man with demons, and he, he fed the 5,000, and he fed the 4,000, and he's healing people who are deaf and mute and so many others. And if you think it's just back then, think of now. Think of Damar Hamlin. Just a week or so ago, we saw a man's heart stop on the football field. And a week later, he's home. We've seen cancers go into remission. We've seen people get and remain sober. We've seen relationships mended. Those things that we think are impossible are possible with God. And it's not just a one-time event. We see it all the time. The question is, are we looking for God's glory? The glory of God is also revealed in the grace we receive. Through Jesus, we experience and receive God's grace. Now, grace is like this, this church word. It means that we are given something that we do not deserve. It is unmerited favor that God chooses to bless us in spite of us. We all receive God's grace, whether we know it or not. Some of us went to bed last night, didn't say a word to God. But we woke up this morning, and some of us still didn't say a word to God. That's God's grace. We're living in God's grace. Some of us got in our cars, in an Uber, got here safely, didn't say a word to God. We're moving in God's grace. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's God's grace. God allowed us to live long enough to confess Jesus Christ and to live to see eternity. That's God's grace. God forgives us when we sin. That's God's grace. Our coworkers who pray with us at work, that's God's grace. Our neighbors who look out for us in the neighborhood, that's God's grace. People who volunteer to help you work for the kingdom of God, that is God's grace. There's this big divide, this big chasm between a holy God and a sinful people, but he sends Jesus to divide that for us. That is God's grace. Have you stopped to think about God's grace at work in your life? And we experience more and more of God's grace as we get to know him. Verse 16 says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. This means that we receive grace and then we receive more grace. And then we receive more grace. And then we receive more grace on top of that. The closer we stay to God, the more we experience his grace. Think about it. He forgives us. And he comforts us. And he gives us wisdom. 
and he heals our broken hearts, and he strengthens us, and he sustains us, and he gives us abundant life. His grace for us goes on and on and on. Christ is full of grace, and we are showered with it through our relationship with him. We can't even take it all in. The Bible says that Christ is full of grace, and we experience that fullness through him. So imagine if you're like drinking water, and you get full, but there's still more water to be drunk. That's how God's grace showers us. God's grace in our lives, when we can stand in awe of God's glory, we will see God. Jesus will lead us to the very thing that we've been searching for. So what's our response? What is the response of a people who God has made himself known to? Our response to knowing God is to live like we know God. It's to live like God is among us. It's to live like God taught us in Jesus Christ. It's to love your neighbor and forgive your enemies and care for the poor and tend to the sick. In short, it is obedience. It is to be obedient to God. That's how we live in the glory of God. That's how we experience more and more of God's grace in our lives. This is how we receive God personally. It is through obedience. Now, I am a pretty even-keeled person. I really don't get flustered. Well, I might get a little flustered, but I'm a pretty forgiving person, right? I don't really hold grudges, or so I thought. (laughs) Um, I held a grudge for a long time against my stepmother, my father's second wife. So here's the backstory. I met her three months after my mother had passed away. When my father drove her and her daughter with us to North Carolina for Christmas. I had no idea who she was, but she knew me. And after I put the pieces together, I realized that her and my father had been in a relationship prior to my mother's passing. Needless to say, I had no intentions of being friends with this woman. I was dismissive and rude in the beginning, And over time, we sort of settled into this cold, neutral relationship, not speaking to one another unless we had to. But I was a Christian. I am a Christian. And I'm always praying, God, you know, I want more of you, right? God, I want more of you. And and God started messing with me, calling me to deal with my feelings and to forgive her and my father and to take responsibility for how I had been treating her. So one day, out of obedience to God, I apologized to her. I told her how sorry I was, I told her why I had been upset, and I explained this all to her, and I expected to hear an apology back. It never came. (laughs) But our our relationship got somewhat better. Still wasn't great, though. Got somewhat better. Then one day, um, a few years later, I'm praying. I'm still a Christian, right? And God nudges me. He says, "Um, ask her to go with you to get your nails done. Now, I know this is like, it might be a small thing to some of the men in the room, but to the women, we know that like, nails are like a fun thing, right? You go with your girls. (laughs) 
And for me, um, it was especially difficult because getting my nails done always reminds me of my mother. So I, I went up to her and my voice is cracking and I kind of had tears in my eyes and I asked if she wanted to go with me. And she said she couldn't on this particular day. She had just had a gel manicure. And so um, she couldn't go on this particular day, but she said, we'll do it, we'll do it. You know, and she thanked me. Um, we'd find another time. And our relationship shifted with that encounter. Well, um, a few months, maybe a year or two later, um, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And it was so aggressive that she had to have all these surgeries back to back. And she needed to recover at my house because the layout of my house was um, better for her than the condo in which she lived in. And of course I said yes. And the diagnosis wasn't good, but we were hoping for the best. And so the running joke between us became that she had to get better so we could go get our nails done. Sadly, she passed away before that could happen. But before she did, she asked me to eulogize her at her funeral. And I did. And as I was preparing for it, I was so grateful that I had good things to say about her things that I had experienced in my relationship with her. Our relationship was slow in building, but it was a testament to God's glory, built out of his grace because of my obedience. I experienced Jesus among us when our relationship changed and we were able to spend time together and I was able to care for her in some ways during her illness. Jesus was at work among us, leading us towards reconciliation by his grace. And so I had no regrets when she passed because we were on good terms. And God gave me the grace to eulogize her and to minister to her children and to my father. And because it was during the early days of COVID, my father moved back home and I was able to be present with him. And I am so grateful for a God who continues to make himself known to us in personal ways. I don't know what your story is. But where has God shown up for you? And given you the grace that you needed. Demonstrated his glory among you and has been present with you in unique and personal and glorious ways. That's how God makes himself known to us. And we experience more and more of that as we are obedient to the God that we know and the God that we love, who's made himself known to us and loves us. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you that you are a God who dwells among us. I thank you, Lord God, that while I don't know all the stories of all the people online, the people in this room, God, I know that you've shown up for them in powerful ways, in unique ways, 
in personal ways, in glorious ways. God, I pray that in this season that we're going into in 2023, that we will never forget your grace upon our lives. I pray, God, that we would be people who come to know you more and more, who experience more and more of your grace because we are obedient to your word, God. And I pray, God, that just as we experienced earlier today, that we will see your grace and your glory manifested in in visual ways, but also in the transformation in our hearts and in our relationships, God. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would give them the grace to see your hand at work in their lives. May we ever be grateful and thankful and mindful that you live and you dwell among us, God. God, thank you that you love us enough to step down from heaven to come move into the neighborhood with us, to move into our hearts, and to show us your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.